0: you heard from toasted sisters so i thought i'd offer you something sweet this is a podcast extra and it's sugar bushing time my guest is david manuel he's a foods coordinator for the red lake food initiative and he's Anishinabe. hey david how's it going
1: it's going rather well
0: all right you were out uh sugar bushing right and you just got home
1: yeah yeah i just got home from from out in the woods. Um tapping trees and, and collecting sap and boiling the sap to in preparation to make some syrup, candy and sugar.
0: Nice. And so can you uh, tell me what this process looks like from, you know, picking the right tree if there's a the right tree to all the way to a, a cup of syrup?
1: I wait till the time of year where it's getting above Slightly above freezing during the day, but still drops below freezing at night. And that kind of wakes up the tree from its its slumber throughout the winter. It's been storing water and making sugar in its root system. The purpose of the sap is to jumpstart every leaf bud throughout that branch system. You know, the earth is on its axis, and in the northern hemisphere, it's tilting back towards the sun as we go into spring and and summer until the summer solstice, and then it starts tilting back. And the purpose of the sap is to jumpstart those leaf buds to begin the the, the growth process until the the earth axis tilts to a point where the angle is sharp enough for the process of photosynthesis to take over. That's what's really happening. We... uh, like to go out there and tap and take advantage of that that sap, sweet water, and and uh, use it to supplement our our dietary needs. Um, there's a lot of uh, nutritional value in that sap. Um, there's lots of trace minerals. There's there's uh, calcium. There's magnesium uh, and, and 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 all kinds of trace minerals that traditionally people had been lacking. Over the winter months, especially in the older times when our dried hominy corn stores are running low our our squash stores or our, our potatoes we, we we traditionally we grew potatoes squash corn and, and and some beans, but those were always running low and so that sap kind of helps to replace some of those those minerals that we've lost over the over that time, over those that hard time of winter. So anyway, when 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 you know the temperature starts going above freezing and below, you know uh, above during the day and below during the evening, we go out there and tap the trees, and uh, it just involves using a drill, a cordless drill, and uh, a store-bought tap, and uh, we go about tapping the trees and hanging the, the bags on the on the taps. the sap to flow into the bags and then we collect every evening we filter the sap through some cheesecloth and and just some plastic um, 32-gallon garbage cans that's what we're using and um, that's just a quick initial filter because um, as it's getting warmer um, insects are waking up and especially moths are attracted to that that sweet sap and they they end up in the bags, and so we're filtering out twigs and, and, and moths. And then we, we get a fire going, and we, get, we, we have a, a boiling system. Um, when I first started out, all I had was a 55-gallon drum that was cut off at the top, and I had some rebar bent, and then I I, hang it off, I hung it off of a, a cross beam supported by two tripods. Basically, trees that I cut down in the forest and made, you know, two tripods. Put the crossbeam on, hung a chain and a hook, and then um, suspended that over an open fire. Um, today, I I have a a little bit more sophisticated, not too sophisticated, but a little bit more sophisticated system where I have a fuel oil barrel that's been cut in half, and I went I went to the uh, the scrap yard and i found some old some metal bed frames and that's basically just angle iron and i had a welder weld that on onto that and i got a hold of some stainless steel pans and i fitted those pans on the top and had the welder cut a door on the side of the of the barrel and and weld a couple hinges on there and and uh i get a fire going in there and that results in um a lot more um, conserving of firewood where the fire is just, you know, kind of enclosed and focusing its heat directly under the pans to create a boil to uh, get that evaporation process going. It takes 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup. What? So, yeah,
0: it's. It, it, <laughs> That's a
1: process. It, it, yeah, and, you know, these trees aren't in rows. We're out in a, in a very natural place mm-hmm. where, you know, we were out in a maple grove, an ancestral maple grove. In fact, my mother showed me this place where where I do my sugar bushing. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother was born in 1934, and that's where she always remembered going. After I learned how to do it and moved back home here, uh, that's where I began to do my sugar bush, just to, to keep that tradition, that custom going. You know, we get that boiling going and, and uh, keep adding sap as it boils down because it will reduce, you know, mm-hmm. due to the, the evaporation and, the, and, you know, the heat of the fire. And we just keep pouring sap in there and keep pouring it in, and it keeps evaporating. And pretty soon it the liquid becomes concentrated with lots of maple flavor and sugar. And it's it's a long process. It's unpredictable how things will go. It seems like this year is going to be a shorter season than others. I've had years where there was still snow on the ground up until Easter. There still is little patches of snow on the ground, like on the north side of a little slope, but it's almost Mm -hmm. all gone, and uh, so it's just warming up a little earlier this year. The trees will, will give us their gift, you know, as they see fit, but it's all a gift, you know, and I'm grateful for what they have to offer us. Um, this is something that we've done for ages um, We have in our culture stories that have been passed on generation to generation um, concerning the, the, the origin of the sugar bush and, and they're considered sacred stories and how they have how the, how the sugar bush has helped the people get by and how they use that, that sugar We've always traditionally have always made sugar you know it always goes through that syrup, age, but, you know, we never had cans or bottles to put it in. So customarily, we always made sugar, and it was very important to our not only our diet, but to our economy as well. Maple trees only exist, you know, in this northern tier of, of woodlands that runs all the way from up in Canada, you know, all the way to, I believe, Nova Scotia and Maine, and then westward, and We're pretty much on the western fringe here in Red Lake to where the maples grow, and that's where the prairie starts, just on the edge of our reservation. And so we were fortunate to have settled here. And uh, what I do in my job is uh, bring tribal members out, classrooms, the different programs that we have on the reservation, and I... I do my best to educate them on our tribal customs around the sugar bush and to train people so this this tradition survives. It's not like it's in any threat of extinction or anything, but it's because we do this you know, and instruct people that it will continue. Today I had like about four classes out there and some different programs, People that are in drug rehab will come out there, okay. just to, you know, just to get exposed to to something new. You know, um, we had uh, our immersion classes, our language immersion classes, come out and we use our our native language and talk about it. You know, not only are reinforcing custom and tradition, but also also our language, and we refer to that as Anishinaabe mo'in. So, you know, we, this is something that uh, that I've done every spring for about 10 years now. And before that, I just used to go hang out at other people's sugar bushes and, and hang just to hang out and help, you know, and that's how I learned. I moved back to my own reservation. I just started to do it. It's really uh, something that... Uh, I enjoy doing, and I can't think of what else I would be doing this time of year. I would be lost if I wasn't able to do it. Uh,
0: what are some of your favorite things to uh, put maple syrup on or to incorporate um, maple syrup inside of a, a recipe? Are there any, like, traditional foods that are made with uh, maple syrup?
1: Well, um, not necessarily with syrup, but with sugar, yes, mm-hmm. Um it can be incorporated into just about any dish and in fact it was our our primary method of seasoning and we didn't you know we didn't use it to sugar our coffee prior to colonization you know we, there was no such thing as fry bread so we didn't put sugar in our fried bread or in any other dish any other colonized dish it was primarily used as a seasoning we, we don't have uh, any salt Traditionally, it was a, it was used as a seasoning to to make things taste better. But when I do make syrup, to answer your question, I'll I'll use it in my cornbread, as opposed to using refined white cane sugar. I really enjoy using it, not syrup but sugar, when we have a fish fry. I don't know why, but to me the it's just a, an incredible contrast of flavors that really complement one another between with the fried fish. I, I'll, I'll even bring it to a restaurant and order fish and I'll pull pull some out of my pocket and <laughs> sprinkle maple uh, sugar on the fish yeah. and uh, when I eat out breakfast I sometimes bring a little jar of syrup with me because th- th- no restaurant really serves up maple syrup. They'll, they'll go with the Aunt is or the Miss Butterworth's or whatever food service Type maple flavored sugar water. They'll, you know, they'll put on the table. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm, I'm spoiled now, and uh, <laughs> that's what I do.
0: Yeah, you can definitely taste the difference between um, you know those those cheaper syrups you sell they sell in the store and then like a hundred percent maple syrup that's you know almost twenty you know ten dollars a bottle twenty dollars for a bigger bottle and um, I can definitely taste I haven't I haven't had um, the regular syrups in a long long time because the taste is a little bit different and I I really like the the ma- real maple uh, syrup taste a lot better. Yeah, I, I know.
1: <laughs> I, I Yeah, you, you end up just, you know, becoming, I don't want to say a snob, but uh, <laughs> uh, you develop an appreciation mm-hmm. for the real deal. That's how I like to put it.
0: Yeah. Um, are, are there any um, issues that are affecting maple trees or maple syrup production that maybe you're worried about or thinking about?
1: Um, We have climate change and and, um, invasive species, and they kind of go hand in hand. I can't remember the name of the insect, but it's making its way here, and it it bores into any tree and can kill the trees. And, And it hasn't gotten this far north yet, and we're hoping that it doesn't. We're hoping that some of the cold weather will return next year and prevent this new insect from, from coming this far north. We have uh, right now um, an emerald ash borer insect that is killing off all the ash trees. Cold weather really kind of puts a, a damper on it going really far north, but with climate change in the mix and if we start keeping having these mild winters, it'll, it'll, it will adapt. I myself I'm a believer that climate is always changing, always evolving, but I also am a believer that our collective human behavior is also contributing to global warming. I think it's time that we start thinking about how we treat our soils and, and how we treat our air and how we treat our water. All right.
0: Um and uh you know speaking of sweet things um, I saw a post on uh, the Red Lake local food initiative you're you're very active on that group and um I saw uh you posting about beekeeping uh do you keep bees also I do yes oh. I do
1: I I, I keep the, the the domesticated European honeybee that mm. has made its way you know over here to Turtle Island I I, I do it not because, <laughs> I, I, I don't to sound awful, I
0: just love honey. <laughs> you like sweet things.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, and uh, and again, I use that, you know, in place of the the, the cane sugar or the sugar that's made from um, the beets. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, I, I enjoy it. I find it challenging, and a byproduct of this is that I, I got a big garden also here in my, at my home, and uh, so I'm, I'm contributing to the, the pollina- pollination of, of my, my vegetable plants and uh, my honey. I've never tasted honey that tastes like mine. It, it you know, you can go in a store and you can buy clover honey, you can buy buckwheat honey, you can buy just honey, honey, and <laughs> all that. All those flavors are coming from within three miles i'd say we have uh... four hives now and we're only going to use three of them and keep one back in case a hive swarms and hopefully we can catch it and put it into the fourth hive i've had a hive swarm before and it's actually pretty cool to watch but it's also kind of sad to see the bees leave (laughs) and i want to catch them and, and, and keep them around and uh...
0: Wait, what? What does that mean when a hive uh, swarms? Like they they lost their queen or something? Or
1: well, no, actually, actually, it's it's part of their propagation. It's part of their survival mechanism. You know, uh, everything they do is for the wellness and good of the hive. Mm. You know, meaning all of them. the 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 queen that's in the hive, for whatever reasons, decides to propagate to, to lay a, a queen. Mm. Lay another queen. And, and and it is surmised that she senses that there's enough food in the area to create another queen and when she does that and when that when that new queen is born, the older queen that gave birth to the new queen will literally leave the hive okay. and will take about half the bees with her. And they, and then they they will start to swarm, and they'll gather in a tree branch nearby, and then they'll set out they'll they'll set out their scout bees to go look for a new home. That's I think it's pretty neat. Yeah,
0: yeah, that that's uh, pretty pretty cool how bees work, and then they give you. Honey, <laughs> yeah. Well, all no, we steal, stuff. we steal the honey. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we steal it. Uh, you have to admit that. I admit <laughs> it to myself. Because mm-hmm. what they're doing is they're they're gathering food to, to weather through the hard times of of late fall and winter. It's quite common for the commercial beekeeper to overwinter their bees. You know, down in the in the warmer climates, Texas, even Mexico you know, and uh, where things are still blooming and flowering and pollen is still being produced by whatever plants down there are doing that. And then, you know, it's, it's pretty tough to winter bees up in, up in our northern climate, up in our harsh winters.
0: That was David Manuel. He's a foods coordinator for the Red Lake Food Initiative, and he's Anishinaabe. On the next full episode of Toasted Sister, I'll have Chef de Cuisine Brian Yazzie from The Sioux Chef look for it on Thursday, April 6th. This is Toasted Sister. I'm Andy Murphy.